Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 33 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Presence or Power. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Uh, we do welcome everyone here this morning and those that are on, watching online also. We are so appreciate you being with us. I look at our stats, if you will, every so often, and I... Um, I was looking at our house of prayer Wednesday night, uh, the size, our crowd's off a little bit, and of course somebody reminded me school has started and a lot of other things too, and, but then I looked online and I don't know, it was like 50, 75 or something, <clears throat> so it looks like we still have pretty good participation by people, and I was even looking at some of those, and I thought, well, maybe it's a lot of of new life and perhaps, you know, staying home or school and what have you, which a good number of them were, but a lot of them were, I mean, like uh, Texas and uh, just other, just other states. And I'm like, and, and, and what they were searching out is for a house of prayer. It's uh, people are, are looking for a house of prayer. I thought, I thought that just very interesting how you know, you're looking for, for uh, tags and, word searches and all of that. And I was excited to see people seeking out the term or the phrase house of prayer. I don't know why. It just kind of flipped my trigger there. Well, as we continue on in, as in the days of Noah, uh, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There again, the central thinking of this teaching is the second coming of Christ. And as you look into the New Testament, you'll see that the main uh, thought behind the New Testament is surrounded around this theme of the second coming of Christ. So the end times, the days that we are living in, is the basic topic of your New Testament. If we move forward, I keep adding to the time period. Uh, this is the, the time period, the time of deceptions, delusions, which we've covered, illusions we've covered, false perceptions, which we covered, and now we're looking a little bit into progressive uh, reinterpretation. Progressive reinterpretation. And so what we have today is there's one thing. Uh, the Scripture says and the Bible says, second um, ch chapter of Revelation, of God would rather us be hot or cold. Hot or cold is not hard to define. And the reason he says hot or cold, is there's only two true positions, and that's hot or cold. And there again, I'll, we'll look at that little slide I had last week. But as we're looking at this, he would have us to be either hot or cold. But when we're into this thing now, the term is called uh, progressiveness, or to be progressive. A lot of our candidates in our government are, say they are progressives. And um, that carries a lot of definition with it. And we're going to look at that a little bit. Now, I remind us that the battle from the beginning is between, now remember this, we'll keep bringing, uh, we'll be concentrating on this, God's Word versus man's Word. This is the issue as it was in the Garden of Eden, as we're all well aware. Now, progressive Christianity misses the mark. Now, I want us to look at this. Did David rape Bathsheba? 
What a question. Yeah, the answer is no. But the progressive reinterpretation of one of the Bible's most infamous and powerful stories and how it began uh, is being leveraged for a godless end. Yeah. It's now, there's a big debate. Uh, well, it's not a debate as much as there is a proclamation that David raped Bathsheba. And if you'd like to read uh, this article, uh, this article was in the Christianity Today magazine. Now how surprised are you? That is Christianity Today is the flagship of evangelicals. But uh, this article was written, it was written a couple years ago. I had remembered a little bit of it. I reached back for it to see how it has progressed. And in this article, it is a, uh, it's from a progressive point of view. Of course, in the Southern Baptist Convention now, you know, you've got conservatives and progressives, and is the big debate. And it looks like conservative arm is, is losing ground quickly. But the Christianity today is the flagship uh, of evangelicals. And, and believe it or not, the Christianity today was started by Billy Graham. And, uh, but this article is uh, in there. Here's the title of the article, if you'd like to look it up. It's October the 14th. 2019, why is it's easier to accept David as a murderer than a rapist? And so this article goes into all of these reasons on why that uh, they claim that uh, David was a rapist. And it's, it's coming out of the, um, well, it's coming out of feminism and a whole group. If you do want to do the research on it, go ahead. I kept doing research on it until I made me sick on my stomach, and I actually just quit. Uh, but how this article, on how this article was uh, portraying or redefining or reinterpreting, if you will, Scripture. And there again, it's kind of sneaky or whatever. Now, I have a feeling that if David raped Bathsheba, I think God's got enough guts to put it in there. Don't you? I don't think he's put a lot of other stuff in there. I, uh, so, but the point being is things are being uh, reinterpreted. And so a scripture and everything is being reinterpreted. Now, there's one thing to be, God tells us to be kind of black and white. Well, it's, it's true or non-true, good or evil. But what's happening is this gray area, we call it. And it's where the enemy is sneaking in and it's reinterpreting uh, values. I mean, now uh, what was once called mental illness is called an, an alternative lifestyle, right? And today, even with all of the uh, mental illness and is now being turned as acceptable behavior, here's where we are. It used to be that professionals, whether it be doctors or psychiatrists or whatever, and you can, uh, whatever. It used to be that professionals, because you were trained, would bring definition and true reality at what you're looking at. So therefore, if you had a mental illness, there's a different name for disorders. And it means it was a mental disorder or something's out of order in your thinking. And the professionals would would define it same way. It's the same way with our 
medical profession today, uh, the medical profession today, uh, the doctors do not determine your medicine you're taking or how many days you can stay in the hospital. It used to be that the doctors and the therapists would get together and they would determine how many days you could stay in there. And I'm dealing with this right now in three different people. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what does the doctor say? What does the therapist say? Well, it doesn't have it. It says everything's done by the government. And so, so now the professionals do not dictate what, what's going to happen. And now here's what I want you to see. Now everything's being determined by your government. Not trained people. Now, and I know this goes against a few in here. That's why I'm against universal health care. Now, in theory, it would work. Oh, yeah, it's a great thing. Let's give everybody health care. But to the U.S. government, can somebody hear what I'm saying? It, our government is now redefining everything. Why are we having a price? And that's the reason I say a lot of the activity that's going on now is, is that's being passed off as reality is nothing but a mental illness. Now we're putting the mentally ill in offices, and, and uh, Ed just brought another thing uh, to me this morning. What state was that? In Oregon. If they now have a haven or a refuge for people that has these animal disorders and all this didn't come here. It's just, anyway, here's my point. To have government in control, here, what we're losing to is the government is taking over every, more, you've heard it said, more government is not the answer. In theory, it, you might think it's okay, but in reality, it never works. That's the reason we used to have what was called a professional. You went, you learned, you had professionals, you could trust them, uh, you could... Um, now, one particular situation, two different situations I'm in, how many days can a person stay in rehab or how long can they stay in the hospital or this? And, it's, and that's one conversation I got into. Well, what's the doctor and the therapist saying? No, they have nothing to do with it. They can stay in there 14 days or 10 days or this, and then, then they're, they're out. And I'm like, so I said, so, the, so you as a doctor can't influence this? Oh, no, huh? it's all done by Medicare or Medicaid. And I'm, and I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm like, we are in such trouble. And you got to understand, a, a lot of the government now is being run by your progressive arm. That's the reason you're seeing what you're seeing. So can somebody say, we're in trouble, <laughs> you see. So as Christians and as people of God, we've got to understand what is actually happening. So now we even got Christianity Today with an article on why David was a rapist. And you're, and you're like, where can we go? I mean, where, what's, what in the world is going on? I am saying, if you think and believe in separation of church and states in your constitution, you need to read it again. It's not in your Bill of Rights. The church better be into their government. We better be into what's going on. If I just hadn't read that article, you wouldn't have to receive that. That's all. We'll blame the article. <laughs> well, no, I, re I really don't. <laughs> I wish I did. If I hadn't have done more research, I'd have been fine. And I just gave y'all enough to know it shouldn't bother you too bad. When a nation leaves God, this is our problem. In the end times, this is our problem. 
It has uh, been, when a nation leaves God, it has been deceived, which brings on a reinterpretation of the truth of God into a lie. This is where we are. It's the greatest lie of all time that the Word of God is not true. We are living in a time that the words of God are being erased, leaving us with the words of man. That's pretty simplistic, but that's what, what's happening. And, and, and as Christians, we can say, you know, Ten Commandments in the courthouse, Ten Commandments, read Scripture in, church, in school, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't really make any difference if you pull it out. The Word of God is still true. Well, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. The Word of God hanging on the wall of your house or in a courtroom will keep certain demonic flies away. They don't like it. This is true. It's true. Uh, there's a lot of reasons we can go into that. You can go in a situation, carry a Bible in, the whole atmosphere changes. You don't have to say anything. Now, the great deception is a consequence of people who refuse to believe the truth. Our only hope as an individual and as a nation is to be able to see true reality. Now, y'all saw this last week, and I'm going to do it again. I was showing you there how when you look at that screen, there is white and black. That's what's there. But if you look at it long enough, you start seeing gray uh, in the corners or in between, and then the grays get a little more. And then you can say, okay, I'm going to look right at that gray area, and it'll be white. But in your, right on the outside edges, you'll see gray everywhere. And you say, well, there's a, there's a gray, right? I see it. And then it'll, it'll, it'll totally move. So my point is this. Gray area really does not exist. Our minds fool us into believing that there's a gray area. Now, what I'm trying to bring emphasis to is in society today, we have an acceptable a position called gray area. You can say, well, in your taxes, there's kind of a gray area. And there is not. It's not gray. You create gray when you're trying to do something wrong. That's the only reason you create gray, is you're trying to cover something. Well, it's kind of a gray area. You know, it's kind of a gray area. I mean, when people say, people, if you're ever having a conversation with me, just don't use that term. <laughs> Because I will call you out. <laughs> I will so call you out on it. I'm, I'm saying, okay, what are you trying to cover? You know, what's the deal here? And he, I mean, it, I, it's just the truth. Now, what's this? The gray area is the mind trying to negotiate between light and darkness. The negotiation is not a true reality. Now, the reason this has a huge impact with me is I've told y'all before, I was in and out of mental hospitals a lot growing up, well, for 30, 40 years, really. Uh, with my mom and some issues. And so my, I was exposed to a lot of mental illness. And so to me, there's a right and a wrong, and there's a sane and there's insane. To me, there's, and, and it just so happens that sin always falls under the, the term of insanity. It's in, it's in God's word to walk a holy life, a godly life, it's, it's healthy. It does. It, don't even be a Christian. Just live it. It's good for you, <laughs> you know. But sin is always equal to death. It's going to kill something in you, you see. But keep that in mind. How can I be sure I have not been deceived? And it's all about in the calibration. We started in this thought, 
Now, last week, this, if we're calibrated correctly, we discussed this. What does it mean by to calibrate? To make certain that the caliber of something to determine, rectify, or mark the graduations of something such as the thermometer, to standardize something. Uh, and so what, what we... Everyone in this room, I am sure, understands what calibration means, to calibrate something. To calibrate, if you have, you have a set of scales in your bathroom, and most of the time they got a little button on them, right? And, and, you, and you roll that little button to set it on zero. Well, what that's called is calibration. You've got an absolute that you're going to weigh yourself against. But you've got to have an absolute to start with, or the reading's off. I gave you this example. You can run up to a stoplight, two or three lanes of traffic. All of a sudden, you feel like you're moving forward just to discover the car beside you is moving forward, right? It'll mess with your mind. The only way you can know it's not you is if you look across the road and see a building that's sitting there. And so you calibrate yourself not by the moving car, but by the building that doesn't move. Does that make sense? If you don't, your brain will fool you. You see, you don't stay that smart. You think I've got a bunch of truth, so therefore you're truthful. No, 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 no. You got to keep calibrated. You got to be set at ground zero. You got to be always calibrated to something that never moves. That's what keeps you sane. That's, that's what it does. I'm not doing anything right here now but teaching a mental class. <laughs> you want to stay sane? You always calibrate your life every day by something that doesn't move, and the only thing on the planet that doesn't move is this book. Now, that's just the truth. Now, the problem you've got is you got, the truth is you don't know if you really believe that this is the truth and never moves. That's our problem. I'm telling you what to do, but I know that's not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is we don't think that this is the unmovable. That's our greatest problem. How do I know this? It's because we're constantly wanting God to prove to us that this is unmovable. That's what we're wanting to do. God's got to prove to me that His book is solid, steadfast. So we find ourselves living a Christian life between two worlds, one that's black, one that's white, and we're seeing a lot of gray. Never coming to the conclusion that this book never moves. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? The book never moves non-negotiable. No gray area. Gray area is used to cover sin. Okay. So we want to calibrate. We've got to calibrate by something. Now, to calibrate is to measure the caliber of something. And we talked about this last week about a pistol or a rifle. The caliber is a kind of measurement that can be described either the level of a person's ability or the diameter of a gun barrel. So here we see that we're talking about a caliber or calibrate a gun. It has, you either measure the inside of the barrel or you measure the outside of the bullet or the round. That's what a caliber is. One's an outside diameter, OD, one's an inside diameter. So, but each one 
will measure the same thing. One's inside, one's outside. Does the caliber of your inside match what's coming out of your mouth? Anybody hear me? Your mouth is what shoots off all the time. I'm talking about like a pistol. If, you, if that offended you, you took it wrong, right? <laughs> if, if, if <laughs> your mouth is what you, now the question is, am I, is what's coming out of my mouth the same caliber that's in here? Probably is, right? Now, here's where recalibration comes in. Caliber describes the level of ability a person has achieved in a profession, is an example. It's a high-caliber person, we'll say. It's not unusual for a rifle barrel to wear out of calibration over a usage period, thus causing it to start missing the target. And I spoke about that last week. If you've, some people really like to shoot a lot in their rifles, and, and you can actually shoot one enough uh, that you get out of barrel, you get out around a little, so your barrel's off just a little bit, and it'll cause you to miss your target. And you call it to re-rifle something. You're, you you do a, it's a re-rifling. Now, so it's, so this so what I have seen happen to Christians today that's walked with the Lord a long time. You shot a lot of truth out of your mouth, and you're getting tired. Uh, you're not quite trusting the Word of God like you once did. It's more of a habit than a belief system. And what happens is, just because you've, you've, you're, you need to be re-rifled. It's not, you can't figure out what's changed in you. You just don't have, you're just not hitting the target like you used to. Something needs to happen. Well, the believer needs to be recalibrated. The Scriptures tells us that, and I'm going to show you how this works. Now, what does a recalibration mean? Uh, to standardize something by determining the uh, deviation from a standard to make a certain, uh, the proper correction factor. So, so you're making certain if something's out, what you, you're trying to re-standardize that barrel to what's being shot. So it's important as Christians and believers, I know we like to believe and we like, and I believe in the grace of God more than anybody or I, or I, I wouldn't be here. But to, to experience the grace of God has nothing to do with me trying to stay of high caliber. Anybody hear me? So when the words of God come out of my mouth, they hit their target. Can anybody hear me? I, won't, I either use the grace of God to cover when I miss the mark, or I stay in high caliber and shoot the word of God and it hits its target. Is anybody here? I'm talking to our prophetic people, I hope. And so I'm saying high caliber is of necessity for prophetic people to hit their target. Now, you didn't mean you're not a rifle if you miss the target, but I'm this. What good is it to be a rifle if you don't hit the target? You just ends up, you're shooting off a lot, and it's not worth anything. Maybe I just answered the prayer right there. So... You almost, you also must be recalibrate the sights on the rifle. The rifle misses the mark. So you got to caliber the barrel, but you also got sights on top of that barrel in which to hit your mark. And those sights have to be calibrated against something. 
It's calibrated to the barrel. Can you hear me? Now, now a round of ammunition, a bullet's a bullet. You can throw it up in the air. It can lay here in this book or whatever. If you never fire it through the proper barrel, it will never hit its target. All right, there's your target. A target of a rifle that the sights are off. So what happens is the person shooting that rifle thinks they're hitting a bullseye, but they're missing the target. So what they're seeing and thinking is not hitting the bullseye. They're trusting what they're seeing. Their problem is they're not calibrated with what's unmovable. You got to have a standard that never moves. And when you calibrate to something that never moves and you're calibrated to it, you're going to hit your mark. You're going to hit your target. And I'm, what I'm submitting to a prophetic people is we're out of calibration because I know we're not hitting our mark like we want to. And we're asking for more of the power of God. And I'm going to get into something here in a minute that's going to show us the power of God comes with the... Let me ask you this. Do you get power and then presence or do you get presence and then power? I submit to you, you get presence and then you get power. And we're wanting to go straight to power with no presence. But we can't have presence because it won't recalibrate to what's unmovable. That makes me very sad. I hope it does you. It makes me sad about myself because I know this book is unmovable and I know it's true and I know I'm not hitting my target all the time, very seldom. I'll get close enough to I'll scare somebody. But if what I'm saying should hurt your feelings or offend you or, or make you sad or something, if I am, I'm hitting my target. I'm telling you the truth. Now, Let's watch it. Let's move on a little closer here, a little quicker. All right, let's go to recalibration. Repentance is a recalibration. That's what repentance is. Repentance to a prophetic person should be in your pocket at all times, and you need to hope that you're the one that's wrong in any situation because you know you can repent before somebody else. Can anybody figure out what I just said? I pray to God I'm the one that's wrong because I know I can repent. I don't know if you can. We need to be so in touch with repentance. All right, now let's watch this thing. Here's our definition of recalibration. To rectify, correct, change, standardize, adjust precisely for a particular function, which means remeasure against a standard. You see? We have to remeasure. That's the reason we get into all of these issues of the woke and the progressives and all of that. We get into it. I have it, but you're, you're, you're not measuring yourself against the right standard, the standard that's right, that's correct, that's true. The Word of God's true. It's ground zero. Now watch this. It says this in 1 Corinthians, let, but let a man examine himself. That's what it says. Everyone in us in here, he says, you need to examine yourself. But let each one examine his own work. 
In other words, we're exhorted by the Word of God to look at ourselves and to recalibrate and to see uh, why we're missing the mark. I mean, you can be right and have a rifle and have the truth of a bullet, and you can shoot it and it doesn't hit a thing. The delivery system of the Word of God is very important. Anyway, we need to remeasure against the standard. Now, let's watch this thing as we progress here. What does it mean for a person to recalibrate? This is what recalibration is, to make small changes to an instrument so that it measures accurately. So, so what I'm even laying in front of you here, it's not necessarily that you need a complete overhaul, but we're getting off a little. We're just getting off a little. We're, we're compromising when we shouldn't be. I'm, I'm talking about it in our own lives. I'm not talking about judging others. I'm talking about in our own lives. We get tired. We get, we get a little out. Well, we've been walking with God for 30 years. I've been walking 40 years. I'm a little tired. Younger generation needs to pick it up. We need to be repent against this standard of this book. This book, the way I understand this book, is younger supposed to respect the older. Isn't that what your book says? It's why. It's because you got something to give that they don't have. That's why. I know everybody says, well, we need to put younger into this and younger that, and I'm all for young. I'm all for young. But your answer is not the youth. The answer is the older giving it to the youth, to the younger. I'm sorry, it's just the way it works in this book. So how do I recalibrate? We must examine ourselves against the standard of the Word of God. It is the absolute standard of all truth. In the last days, John was told to measure. Now this is interesting. Because we're in these last days. We start seeing this prophetic theme uh, in the Scriptures. And this prophetic theme is coming on the scene and is saying always that he says to start measuring things. Now, you're going to see this theme in some of the Scriptures prophetically here on how we're to measure. We want to use the Word of God and we want to use grace in the Word of God. But he also says to measure some things. And there's a reason. Revelation 11, verses 1 through 2. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Now watch this. And the altar and them that worship therein. Isn't that interesting? To measure the temple of God, the altar unto them that worship therein. So he says there to him, he says, he says, you take a rod and you measure. Well, what's, what is this? It's the word of God. And you measure. So we're to measure. We're to, I gave you the scriptures that we're, we're to look at our own lives and analyze ourselves to see where we are in the faith and to consider this fact that perhaps we need to be recalibrated to the standard. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, you just look and see how you have turned into a progressive or, or into liberal thinking that's not biblical. You can be uh, so conservative that you're not biblical. You can be so liberal that you're not biblical. Uh, yeah, you can be independent and not be biblical. Okay, I covered them all. All right, here we, here we go. Now, 
In the last days, know ye not that you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. There you go. Now, you can say, well, Alan, that's a pretty tough statement. I think it's a pretty tough statement. He's telling us to measure ourselves, calibrate ourselves, recalibrate ourselves, with the Word of God, so when the Word of God comes out of us, it hits its target. There again, it's important that the words of God hit the target. The day you got born again, you heard something somewhere that hit the target. Changed your heart, changed your life. Our only problem is we like to think that we're right just like we are. I know how human nature works. I've got, I'm as right as I know to be. The only thing I can tell you is you're not asking God the right questions. Now, watch this one. For the time has come. Now, here we go. So, so it says the time has come. John's told to take a rod and to measure the house of God and your people. It's important that we take sight of who we are and where we are. And this is done on an individual basis. This is not for you to impose on somebody else. This is for you to impose upon your own heart. Measure yourself against the standard. Now it gets into this thing, for the time has come. The reason for the measurement and uh, to standardize and all that is because there's a time that's come. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Anybody see that? It's in 1 Peter 4.17. Now, now, Peter's writing this about the second coming of Christ to a group of people. He's speaking about, and I'm going to show you a verse here, I think, about this coming of Christ and how he's saying here that we're to standardize ourselves. He says, for the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, upon hearing this message, you're either you're going to love me and you're going to hate me because your time has now come and you've been told. You have been told what the Word of God says for this time, and I'm telling you the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and I prophetically say that to this group and those watching online. If you hear this from my mouth, it's just been engaged in your life. The time has come. You've been warned. You've been told. Now it says this in First Peter. Uh, in the next few chapters over, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So here we see, see, Peter is speaking about this second coming. He said the time's coming, and the time has come. And he's speaking about here when the chief shepherd comes, which is Jesus himself, talking about the second coming of Christ. Now, he says there's different uh, things prophetically spoken in Scripture. One is the time has come. Another one is the hour has come. So the time is kind of a general group of time, but then he gets more specific and he says, the hour has come. And what's this one? Jesus is speaking of the time he had been looking forward to all of his life. Now, this is a term that Jesus uses, the hour has come. And he's referring to, now please get that, he is referring to the time he had been looking forward to all of his life. You say, well, what, was, what time was that? Well, you, Jesus has a lot of different times. So the, he's speaking about a specific time. He says the hour has come, says it in John 2. Now watch this one. 
For the third third day there was a marriage in Canaan, y'all know this one, of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now here she's talking about they just don't have any wine at the marriage. And Jesus throws in there, Mine hour is not yet come. You're like, what has that got to do with anything? Now, watch this. His mother saith unto his servants, whatsoever he says, just do it. That's all I know. See it? So Jesus is speaking about there's a time that's to come, but here we see in the Scripture, he says that time has not yet come. Repeatedly, Jesus said to the disciples, my hour is not yet. John 7, 30, 31. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Point B. It says here, No man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Now, his hour has not yet come, but now the hour has come. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, and thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So here we see Jesus kept saying, my hour's not yet. My hour's not yet. And here he's saying, the hour has come. And that's great significance in that, that we're to relate to as believers. Watch it. Jesus was given us the revelation of the seed. There again, I'm a farmer and I gravitate to these scriptures. But he was given us the revelation of the seed. He said, his hour hadn't come, his hour hadn't come, his hour hadn't come, his hour has come. Well, we know that that was his death on the cross. Now, he's trying to prophetically teach us the ways of the Spirit. There again, I'm teaching us about recalibration. All right? We're going to recalibrate to Jesus. Is that okay? I'm giving us an example of the Word of God, how we recalibrate. Recalibration will reveal your selfish behavior. Selfishness is getting out of calibration. I didn't get too many amens, but <laughs> yeah, you want me to, maybe I just didn't say it right. Now, watch this, John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat falleth to the ground, die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth what? Much fruit. In other words, Jesus said when his hour had come, it would be the day that he laid his life down on the cross. That was his hour. That, not yet, not yet. Not, but he says, here it is. It's come. Well, that's the greatest day of Jesus' life. It was the one he'd look forward to. His hour had come. 
for him to lay down his life that it might bear much fruit. Everybody got that? Guess who the fruit is? We're the fruit of Jesus' statement. Now the question is, if, well, let me not get ahead of myself. Jesus had to give up all that he had so he could give it to others. That's the revelation of the seed. Jesus gave all that he had. He gave it all so he could give it to others. Now, there's a spiritual principle there of calibration. I didn't say we would like it. I'm just telling you the truth. Test what I'm saying. To recalibrate is we got to know that our time is now. And we're recalibrating to Christ. The hour has come was an opportunity. We got to see it. How many opportunities are in front of us to recalibrate to? Have you come to this hour yet? Have you come to it? Have I come to it? Have I come to this hour to give all of who I am to others? Or how many of us are like Jesus? And you remember when Jesus' mother was looking for him at the temple. He's 12, 13 years old or so. She finally found Jesus. She said, Jesus, what, what in the world are you doing? Where have you been? He said, what was his answer? I've been about my father's business. Now, my question to you, if I call you up and say, hey, what you doing today? Would your answer be, or would it any time be, I'm about my father's business? Recalibrate. Recalibrate. Well, I, I'm going to give... I'm going to give Jesus 20% of my time. I'm going to do more than 10% tithe. I'm going to give him 20. And that'll leave me 80%. I'm going to work and have vacation and have me a little me time. We are not, that is not now. That is not where we are. That is not the world we're living in. That is a hedonistic world. You don't know what a hedonistic world is? A hedon, a hedon is a hedonistic is to be to live a life for pleasure. That's what it means. To live a life for pleasure. An extreme hedonist is look, lives a life of pleasure for sexual reasons. Nonetheless, it's called hedonism. How can you not be guilty of hedonism? is just be living your life and doing what the Father says to do. That's how. And, and, and if you thought that Christianity was less than 100% with God, um, you're, 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 you're out of calibration. It's 100%. Now watch this. It's according to how calibrated you want to be, I guess. Have you come to this hour to give all that you are to others? And then, this is where we're going to pick up uh, next week, is where, where we're going to pick up here next week is the presence of the power. The reason to recalibrate 
The reason for us to recalibrate to uh, the Word of God is, is because it will equal and bring to us His presence. Now, the presence of God is, is a... Um, that's the reason I say, is it the presence of God or is it the power of God that we seek? If we seek the presence of God the power of God comes. If we seek the power of God, you'll always be waiting. Because the presence, you got the presence, you got it all. You've got God, you've got His wisdom, you've got His comfort, you've got His peace, you've got His power. And so what I'm calling us to, or what I am submitting to us, is for us to reconsider and to be recalibrated with the Word of God that we might worship Him on a daily basis when you get up in the morning. You reset that scale every morning whether you get on it or not. Reset, recalibrate yourself to the Word of God every morning. Read His Word. Talk to Him. Calibrate your day against the Word of God. Now, will you hit 100%? Very doubtful. Can you improve? Yes, we can. We can improve. We can improve to a point that when we take these words out of this book and we speak them forth with accurate calibration, they will do the work that they were sent to do. There's more power in these words than we're using. Do you believe that? We have not exhausted the power of the words that's in this book that is immovable and that is true. God's just called us to be His instruments in which we shoot forth these words of God that they might hit the heart of man, that man's hearts might be changed, that our minds might be changed. Don't calibrate yourself to me or to any speaker. Calibrate yourself to the Word of God. There you'll find His presence. If you find your presence, pretty suspicious you're going to find His power. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your Word. Lord, you know our deal. I pray that if there's anything that I've said is not of you, I pray it fall to the ground. If anything that I've said here today is of you and of your power, of your word, I pray it will be quickened to our hearts. Let it be known, O oh God, that this group here at New Life and those watching online, there will be professional spiritual marksmen of the word of God. They will know how to speak your word, that it would go and be very accurate. It could do the work that you've called it to do. Forgive us where we've missed the mark. And we're asking and praying, oh God, that we'll hit the bullseye. Come, oh God, let us experience your presence, that your power might be among your people. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.